Welcome home to those in the room and to those of you that are joining us in the moment or maybe even later on during the week to listen to the Word of God. My wife mentioned that that, uh, there are not many English accents in Saskatoon, but actually I have discovered a Newcastle United supporters group on Facebook. How cool is that? Most of you haven't got a clue what Newcastle United is, but it's my football team. And uh, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, Geordies, as we are called. Uh, Officially, you have to be born in Newcastle to be called a Geordie. No one really knows why they are called Geordies. It's been lost in the midst of time. Here we go. I'm not going to be able to move fast enough to catch it if it falls over, so I might just put it down here. I, um, for those of you that noticed and know me in a service, I normally have my hands raised during worship, but yesterday, with some friends, I went snowmobiling for, it felt like about six weeks, but it was only a few hours. And so now this morning in worship, I tend, I'm, I'm doing more the carry the TV than the goalposts. Um, and occasionally there was a, I noticed myself doing the lift the baby uh, style of raising hands, but there you go. Those of you that are in the room and have been in the room over the last few weeks will have noticed, on a serious note, will have noticed that some of the outside areas are getting incredibly cold. And uh, unfortunately, we're not able to fix the HVACs that warm the place up. And, uh, and so what we have had to do, because we've sort of repaired them and repaired them and repaired them, and now duct tape and WD-40 won't work anymore, and you know that there's a real problem when things can't be fixed by WD-40 or duct tape. And uh, in consultation with the company that does all the maintenance for us, uh, we've taken the decision to replace two of our uh, large HVACs that are heating and air conditioning systems for those of you like myself that had never heard of an HVAC before. But this is going to cost us about $60,000, which, as you can imagine, is, is, a, is a major impact on our finances. And so over the next few weeks, we want to be able to help people understand I guess, you know, if you want to ask the questions why, then feel free to talk to us, ask at the, at the information desk at the end. But it is going to impact our annual budget, and what we want to be able to do is help us as a church understand how we can help together. And, and I want you to think about the fact that you may be thinking, but I've only got a very little. Often it's the little as it's brought together with other littles that make a big difference. So via emails and maybe some video updates, we'll, we'll talk about how we together can accomplish what we need to accomplish to keep our building warm and safe and uh, over the, well, to make it good for the next few years, quite a few years, we hope and pray. And so don't discount your little that you may be able to give. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we can come together. And we thank you, God, for the sacrifice 
of previous generations in allowing us to be in this place. Uh, this place that's not your house, but it houses your people. And we thank you for that. God, I pray that our hearts will be open to what you want to say to us this morning. I pray that our minds will be receptive. And I pray not just that, but God, that we'll be challenged to make a difference in how we do life tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week, we looked briefly at the story behind the picture that's about to come up in a moment. This is a urinal or a urinal. And together with another 14 others is worth a staggering $100 million. It's not gold-plated. It's not made of gold. There is nothing special about it. It is or it was a working urinal. But the significance or part of the significance is where it's placed and the signature that is on the side there. And I guess if you, if you found a urinal, we already know what they're for. We know what they're used for. But if you see it out of place, you would ask yourself, there must be a story behind it. And then if you know the value of that object, you know that there is more than just what you see in the snapshot in front of you. See, what I want you to think about is that little signature there is a master artist's signature. You might not have heard of him before, and he, he's put that on there as a, a, a pseudonym for another name, for his real name, Marcel Duchamp. See, when a master artist puts his signature on his work, its value changes. Its value increases, and so does the story behind the picture. And let me say it is the same with each of our stories. If you're a follower of Jesus and he has put his signature on your life, your value and the value of your story increases immeasurably. In 2010, as I mentioned last week, a lady called Brené Brown, who has now, her fame has gone all over the world, did a TED Talks video that she thought would reach a few hundred, maybe a thousand people. But it's actually been viewed over a hundred million times in different formats. It went viral. Social media has given us all a platform for everyone, for all of us to tell our story. And unfortunately, not all of our stories should be heard or told. We don't all want to see what you had for lunch. Most of those stories don't go viral. But each of our stories not only holds high value when we allow the master to put his signature on our lives, it can also go viral, not in a social media viral way, but in a way that begins to spread far and wide when we tell people of what Jesus has done in our lives. A viral story is just a story that's been repeated and is spread widely. So how do we become 
viral storytellers. Not of someone else's story, not of a urinal on the wall that's worth a hundred million dollars, but our own story, our simple story of what God has done, is doing, and continue to do in our lives. And maybe there's some of you here that are thinking, but I, I don't know anything about that. I, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. Hopefully, either today or over a period of time, you'll come to know him in the same way that many of us in this room do. And you will join your story to the rest of this community and communities all over the world. And today, you will be given an opportunity, both in the room and online, to join your story with ours. And so our focus this year, as part of our overarching vision, our yearly focus is simply called your viral story or a viral story. Because your story in the right setting, in your setting, has value and purpose, but it does need to be told. We want to be able to answer the question both in our Sundays and maybe in our circle groups in different ways. How, how can I tell my story? Some people find it really easy to tell their stories. There are many others like myself that don't find that so. It's a struggle to understand how do I, how do I piece this together? And we want to be able to train each other to be able to do that well. But it's still your story. And we want to be able to equip and empower each follower of Jesus to confidently say, this is who I was, but God. But God. And I want you to remember that phrase, and we're going to be talking next week a bit more about a different aspect of this theme. But remember that phrase, but God. Because each of us, I feel, has a but God story. But then we can ask, why should I? Why should I tell my story? And today, that's what I want to focus on. I began to look at what drives human behavior. What are we motivated by? For some people, it's money, security, family, relationships, safety, desires being satisfied. Many of us will have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's one such theory of motivation. But there are many other theories of motivation. Motivation really just simply means to be moved to action. So what for me, what for you, will move you to action? There are many different motivations and many different things that we could say but I want us to think about what will move us to action in terms of telling our story, our but God story. Let me ask you, what arrests your attention? Yesterday, as we, we filled up with fuel for our, our snowmobiles, there was a, sh a snowmobile shop there, and I, I could see the guys peering through, through the window trying to look at the nicely colored snowmobile, so I definitely knew what it att attracted that arrested their attention. Maybe for others, it's a, a nice car, a beautiful house. But I'm not talking about those types of things that arrest our attention. I may be thinking more of what moves us out of our comfort zone. 
Maybe it's when we see need. When we see injustice or when we see grief and loss. That moves us to action. It gets us out of our comfort zone, our place of safety, and moves us somewhere else, causes us to act in a certain way. When we become followers of Jesus, everything should change. It won't all change at once. There's not this, and we're done. You know, like those, you know, when you see those magician shows and they pull a they pull a cover up and, and they drop it. There's a big cloud and, and all their clothes have changed suddenly. It doesn't happen like that. I wish it did. But it doesn't. There is a process that we go through as we are followers of Jesus. And for those of you that haven't, there will be a process that you step into. That everything doesn't become perfect. Your life doesn't instantly change. There is a process that we go through to make us become more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The old has gone. For some of us, it takes a bit longer for it to be gone. It takes a bit longer for the new to come in. But... We are in Christ, and therefore we are a new creation. The old is gone. When we look at Jesus' life, and many, many people in the world, many of your friends will know about Jesus. He was a good man. Some of the comments that are made, oh yeah, he's a good example. He loved people. But he was much, much more than that. You see, when he, when he came to the earth, when he entered in to our situation, he was motivated by love for us and obedience to his Father in heaven. So when we think about that, and as we think about if we're following Jesus, we actually become more like him, then surely our motivation should be seen in the way that Jesus' motivation was. That, that we're compelled, that we are driven by love for people. And that we are obedient to our Father in heaven. It won't be just our behavior that changes. It will be our motivation. We, we often judge people, or mostly judge people on their behavior. Because it, their behavior, or our behavior, is the thing that interacts between us. It's not my motivation that interacts with people. It is my behavior that is, is caused by my motivation. The problem is, is we can often be doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. Many of you will have heard of a group of people in the Bible called the Pharisees. And they were the sort of the religious leaders. They set the culture of the day. So it wasn't just about, they weren't just legislators of law. They set how culture was seen through the Jewish people. And they actually gave great thought and time to getting their own behavior right and making sure that others were doing the same. And so when you looked at their lives, you could, you could say, oh yeah, they're the people that are getting everything right. 
They've got all the right, they wear the right suits at the right time, and they say the right things to the right people, and they do the right things. But actually, Jesus saved some of his harshest words for those people that everyone else thought were doing the right thing. Because they were doing the right thing, but from the wrong motivation. When we start to follow Jesus, we actually start to become slowly more like him. And when we have more of him in our lives, we become more like him. Our motivation changes first. Maybe our behavior doesn't change straight away, but our motivation will change, and then that will outwork into our behavior. It may change slowly, but it will change. And not just, can I say, our moral behavior, whether we're doing things right, but also our purposeful behavior. What is our purpose in life? What we make our priorities. So it's not just, I don't lie anymore, or I don't steal anymore. Or I don't swear anymore. All of those moral behaviors, but actually our purposeful behavior. What do I make my priority in my life will begin to change. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15 says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are all convinced That one died for all. That one is talking about Jesus there. And therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. See that? Jesus didn't live for himself. And therefore as we become more like him. Our priorities change. Even some of the songs. When we actually listen and understand the words of our songs that we sing. Talks about that. We don't live for ourselves anymore. goes on to say, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels us. We're driven by love for people. And that's not just out of duty or obligation or even out of obedience. It is out of those things. But it's about love. Love for people. Why? Because the same love, as we understand, the love with which we have been loved is the love that drives us, is the love that not just stops with us, but actually flows through us. Christ's love compels us. It moves us to action. It motivates us to tell our story. It drives us. It boundaries our lives. It arrests us. It holds us together. And in the same way that Jesus didn't live for himself, we slowly stop living for ourselves, for our own agenda, for our own purposes. We begin to live for a higher purpose. We still live, we still enjoy the things of life. We can still all do all of those things, but they are not our priority. We're not living for ourselves. We begin to live for a higher cause. We begin to live for the sake of the world, the sake of the people around us. When we see, when we look inside, 
And we begin to, to, to reflect on our own lives. And we see what Jesus has done for us. It should motivate us to look outside and see what he can do for others. Not just, oh, they're a bad person, therefore they need Jesus so that they are less of a bad person. It actually should, again, our lives should be compelled by the same love which we have received. And therefore, we want people not just to change their behavior, but to meet Jesus. To meet the same Jesus that changed our lives is what should compel us, should motivate us to action. Jesus was bounded by his cause, his mission, his reason for being on earth. The Bible tells us in so many different verses what he actually came to do. And this isn't, these are just a small sample. I'd love you to maybe take some notes and go away and read what they are. Luke 19 verse 10 says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Mark 10 verse 45 says that Jesus came to serve. Luke 4, 18 and 19 says that he came to proclaim the good news. Can I, can I just stop there for a moment and say, are we bounded by those things as well? To proclaim, to serve, to seek and save the lost. John 10 verse 10 says that he came to give life. John 18 verse 37 says that he came to be a witness to the truth. These are the, these are the things that Jesus came to the earth to do. To seek and save the lost, to serve, to proclaim, to tell the story. Good news. To give life, to be a witness to the truth. Jesus came not to give us a get out of jail slash hell card for free. He came to proclaim and bring a new kingdom. He came to be king, to give us someone to follow. Not as an, just as an example, but to be our Lord. And so as we follow Jesus, we enter into this new kingdom that he's bringing to the earth. Not by force. Not by legislating for Christianity as has been done down through the ages and done really badly, may I say. But he came to change people's hearts. You can legislate for behavior, but you can't legislate motivation. You can make a law to tell people to do something or not to do something, but you will never change what motivates people's hearts. And that is only through Jesus and his love. <coughs> and then... When we understand the mission of Jesus to seek and save, to, to proclaim the truth, to bring life, to serve, we begin to understand that we have the same mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says, this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, brought us back. 
and gave us that same ministry of reconciliation. It's not that just it was done to us. He then gave us that same ministry, that same way of serving. But God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed, handed over, boundaried our life. This message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. When we speak, when you tell your story, it's as though God is making his appeal through you. How incredible is that? God is speaking as you tell your but God story. It's actually, the Bible here is saying that he's making his appeal to people through you. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He gave us his work. He gave us his message. He gave us his passion. And when we look into the world around us, It's not just behavior that we see needs changing. It is everything that goes into what causes that behavior. But we see, I guess we see the the consequences of those behavior. We see division, greed, abuse, rejection, racism, lies, misogyny, domestic abuse, poverty. We see lives ripped up and ripped apart. And that is the reality of a world that chooses to live without God's love, without God's forgiveness. It's the reality of a world that has rebelled against God. There is an enemy out there. And its name is not Trudeau. See, we laugh at that. But it isn't. The enemy is the devil and sin. And it's ripping our world apart. And as followers of Jesus, we have a message of hope and a story of hope. Your but God story may just be what your neighbor needs to hear. I was this, but God. God in his great love for us has created a way to bring humanity. Can I bring that back? God in his great love has created a way to bring your neighbor back to himself, your son, your daughter, back to himself. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates, shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of our mess, in the middle of the consequences of our own sin, of the enemy ripping our lives apart, us being involved in that, in the middle of all that, God didn't wait for us to be a better person. Thank goodness for that. In the middle of everything, he demonstrated, he showed us so clearly his love for us. But I love this part. He chose us to be his partners in that. He didn't just say, I'm going to do everything. He said, I'm going to choose messed up people. I'm going to choose the imperfect I'm going to choose those that aren't there. Revelation 12 verse 11 says this. They triumphed over him. That's the enemy. 
by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The blood, that's the sacrifice that Jesus made when he came into the messed up world and said, I'm going to take everything you've done wrong on myself. He did his part. But he chooses us, the imperfect. He chooses us, the scared. He chooses us, the not quite ready. He chooses us, the unconfident. He chooses us, the unqualified, to tell people what he's done for us. Our story. We use the word testimony at times. Our story is what we continue to do. That's our partnership. So when we've experienced God's love, we can do nothing but show others that love. It compels us. We are motivated to tell our story for a greater cause, for the sake of the world. It's a story that cannot be kept silent. The only person that can keep your story silent is not the government. It's not your neighbor saying, keep your truth to yourself. It's not the social media saying, I don't want to hear about this Jesus. It's you. It's me. We are the only people that can keep silent our story. The message version in Matthew says, we're going public with this. We're going public with this. Why? For the sake of the world. God did not join our story. We joined his overarching narrative to bring us back to him. My story, like the urinal on the wall, will have meaning and purpose when I have the artist's stamp on my life and I'm placed in the place that he wants us to be. When the master takes our ordinary lives and put his signature on it, our lives take on a whole new value and a whole new story that will go viral, not because of social media, but because you, I, tell it. I want to ask us, maybe those of us that have been on the road a bit more, do we still love him? Are we still motivated by love because it is easy to do the right things with the wrong motivation? Not going through the motions, but love Jesus deeply. We love him because he first loved us. He demonstrated his love by going to the cross, where pl the place where justice and love intersected. J. John, who's an incredible evangelist from the UK, said this, a missionary is not someone who crosses the sea. A missionary is someone who sees the cross. When we have encountered the love of Christ, his love compels us. So what's your story? We tell it for the sake of the world. I'd love for the, the band to come back on. We're going public with this. Like a city on a hill, we, we bring God flavors and God colors to our world. We prompt people to open up to God. Everyone has a, this is who I was, but God story. That's your testimony. Never underestimate what your story can do in someone's life because it could bring victory. I love when we look around the church 
And we see the interwoven story with every story having meaning and significance in its right setting. But I love the interwoven story even of just racial and cultural diversity in this room. First Nations, Asians, Africans, South Americans, Europeans, Canadians, and even one or two English people. Thank you for allowing us to join your story. Your story as a follower of Jesus might not have even started today. But today could be the beginning of your but God story. I thought I was unloved, but God. I was told I was unwanted, but God. I thought my life was wasted, but God. I thought I had everything life could give me, but God. See, we're all called to be light bearers. It's not for that special, special forces group of Christians that we call the evangelists. Everyone has a story. It's time for your story interwoven into the story of Jesus to go viral. Our story is a story of healing, of God's forgiveness, of God's keeping power. Our story is a story of as it's interwoven with Jesus, bringing people back into created relationship. Your story won't go viral because you've suddenly got all the right algorithms on social media, but because you've allowed the master artist to put his signature on your life and place you in the setting that he wants you to be. Our prayer at the end of our services at the moment is for three things. If you remember them, prayer for opportunity. Opportunity to speak my story. You might have 30 seconds. That's, that's all you might have. It's probably all you need in the right setting. Prayer for opportunity to invite people, to tell the story of Jesus, invite people to church. Prayer for courage to step into that. Prayer for wisdom to say the right things. It's not just a prayer that we do because it ends the service, but it is our commission for the week. Not out of duty or habit, but because we are compelled by the same love that we've experienced. Our love, the love that we've experienced, the love that we show is for the sake of the world.